As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Hi everyone, this is Julissa Arce. Welcome to this week's Crooked Conversation. I'm really excited by this conversation we just had with uh, Dee Watkins, who is the editor at Large for Salon. He's a professor at the University of Baltimore, the founder of Be More Writers Project, and he is a New York Times bestseller author of two amazing books, The B-Side and The Cook-Up. Um, this conversation we had was a really raw and eye-opening conversation around the policies that are being rolled back in the Trump administration that are supposed to protect people of color and what the impact is on all of us. So I hope you enjoy. You and I have talked about on panels we've been on before about this notion that any person can put in the work and achieve whatever they want in America and I think we both know that's not the full story and there are millions of obstacles put in front of people of color and especially black people that prevent us from following this formula of do the work and you'll achieve anything you want, right? And um, people use this excuse all the time that slavery was so long ago and can we just get over it? But you've pointed out that Emancipation Proclamation was 155 years ago while slavery lasted over 400 years and it wasn't like slavery ended and the next day black men and women were seen as equal. So being a professor and all, can you take us through just a brief history of all the shit loss after the end of slavery that were created to discriminate against black people and minorities? Yeah, for sure. Um, so <laughs> one day slavery ended, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. You know, the, the funny thing about the Emancipation Proclamation is people think that um, it, was, it was a document that Lincoln... Um, put out with the sole purpose of ending slavery. But if you read it, and I recommend people should read it, it's only like a page long. Um, he actually says that if, if you know, to the states in the South, if you rejoin the Union, then you can actually keep your slaves. So who actually would have known how long it would have been if, you know, the people in the South would have said, you know what, we're going to join the Union so we can keep our slaves. You know, who knows what would have happened. But, um, you know, after that, um, you know, I, yeah, I will give Lincoln credit for the creation of the Freedmen's Bureau, and um, that was it was set up to to help to help the free slaves be able to adjust to society. But Lincoln was murdered, and then Andrew Johnson, who was his vice president, took over, and um, he actually wasn't really feeling black people too much, and he allowed a lot of people in the South to regain their land. Even though a lot of different people, black people, and um, during Reconstruction was thriving, you had people like Nate Shaw and people like um, uh, Benjamin Montgomery, the Montgomery brothers, and people who were actually figuring out ways to thrive and, and make money. I think Robert Smalls is probably one of the best examples. Um, on top of everything, you know, negative that was that was already going on, or that was going to happen to a person who had black skin. But yeah, you have um, you know you had the black holes and, and, and Jim Crow laws and all of these different things after that, leading all the way up to even now, you know, um, <laughs> mass incarceration and um, right. and, and how being a black person is 
is is not you you just you know being a person of color will guarantee that you won't get a fair shake in this in this country and um and we, we see it on the news every day we saw it with the kids in Starbucks we saw it with the kids in Canada who were asked to pay for their food before they even received it I saw it myself <laughs> when I was sitting in a restaurant and like another black person say hello to me and then a server like put out their drinks on my bill and I'm like what <laughs> <laughs> like are you kidding yeah, me yeah well I was at, I mean not not the same but like I was at the store uh like this happens to me all the time when I'm out shopping and I'll have clothes on my hands and especially like white ladies will ask me like where's the bathroom and I'm like uh I don't know and this woman was like you don't know where the bathroom is and I was like no I don't I was so confused and she's like don't you work here and I'm like uh no ma'am I'm like I'm shopping just like you and I'm in sweats and like if I worked here I would have some decency and have some makeup on like I'd be at work um, <laughs> and you know like a lot of times you know when, when you get upset at those types of situations you come off as an angry person as a person who's right. always complaining but when you go through those situations you know um, and you make people aware of them you know using I, I try to use humor like I try to be a funny guy you know sometimes like to explain some of these things sometimes it works sometimes my time ends off and the joke doesn't really hit but <laughs> I try my best to explain these things to people in the best way possible. But, you know, I I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm tired. Like, I'm sick of having these same conversations. Like, I'm too busy dealing with these oppressive systems to be your interpreter. So after all of these 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 laws, right? So, like, the Black Codes and Jim Crow and segregation. And now, like you mentioned, like, we're still seeing, you know, as that book says, the new Jim Crow is mass incarceration, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but after all of these terrible, disgusting loss that were meant to discriminate. Uh, we finally had a win, right, with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which was supposed to be a piece of legislature that um, that protected against discrimination on the basis of race, color, sex, or national origin and employment in schools and in public spaces. And 54 years later, some things have gotten better. Like, for example, in 1964, the high school graduation among black people was 4%. Now it's around 85%. College graduation was around 4%. It's now 21%. Still not great, but it's it's better. Um, but even though it's illegal to discriminate in employment on the basis of race, we know that black women earn 63 cents on the dollar and Latinas earn 54 cents on the dollar compared to their white counterparts. And you know, sometimes there's been like countless stories where a resume with the name like Juan gets mm-hmm. gets turned away. But as soon as that person changes their name to John, just on their resume, they'll get calls. Right. So these things are still happening. But what do you think has worked um, as a result of the Civil Rights Act um, and other similar laws like the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the Fair Housing Act of 1968? And what has worked and what's still not working? So I struggle with this all of the time because, um, you know, a lot of those people who fought for these, you know, for these for these laws to be passed and who fought for these rights, um, you know, Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Mega Evers and, you know, Malcolm X and just all of the people that lost their lives, mm-hmm. all of the, you know, the, the, the leaders and the organizers and the supporters um, who, you know, who who names, you know, we don't really get to hear and the other people like Vernon Johns and Fred Shuttlesworth and right, yeah. they are Rustin and all of these different people who fought, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by them. It was it was their energy 
and their leadership and the seeds they planted that allow me to do what I what I do today. I enjoy a lot of freedoms, um, and the freedoms I enjoy uh, is that it's not because I'm a black guy; it's because I make money. So I make money. I enjoy freedoms without them putting in the work that they've done. Then I probably wouldn't be able to make some of the money that I've made. So I probably wouldn't be enjoying the freedoms like a lot of people aren't really enjoying freedom right now. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with that all of the time because I think about. Um, Malcolm X's speech, the ballot or the bullet, and how he talked about um, the civil rights movement um, was, was putting us on pace to do the biggest economic power transfer in United States history, where you are championing all of these black people to be able to spend their money at white businesses, taking the money from the black businesses that they, that they had to support because it was the only option. So it's like the whole grass is greener, the white man has colder ice type of type of thing, right? That same mentality that kind of came with um, some of the laws that had to be put in place. So I, I struggle with that a lot because I think that, and you know, um, you know, it's no secret. I'm, I'm from East Baltimore. I've been a, a professional, a public figure for only about four years. So I legitimately just started meeting white people that wasn't like police officers <laughs> or like... Um, Social workers Or like um, It's like another white mm. job Like a, It's like a Teachers. clerk <laughs> You know Like I really just started Meeting white people And I've made You know I've made some amazing friends Um you know, of Asian friends and Latina friends and p- friends all over the place that I probably wouldn't have if some of those things weren't in place. So, and I'm sure a whole lot of people has had that experience and things have been mobilized because of that. So that's what works. The economic side of it is the side um, that makes me draw a blank because what what would have happened? Like, what would have happened if, um, as you know, people of color spend a lot of money in this country yeah. and... If that money was being reinvested into our neighborhoods and we had more economic power, then we can do more in politics, then we can do more as a people, then yeah. we can, you know, then we can create like legacy. I mean, because, you know, like like policy, policy has created wealth in this country. Like, um, I don't know why this always slips the conversation, but when FDR passed the GI Bill, um, that, you know, and which basically was the bill responsible for creating that white middle class in the suburbs, you know, that eventually spiraled in, into wealth. Um, a black person coming home from the war trying to use that GI Bill to get a home loan was going was being denied by those banks because of the color of his skin. A white right, person yeah. coming home from the war, you know, they were able to get the loan, get the house, gr- gain equity, own land, use that to acquire more equity and more land, and you're creating, you're creating legacy. So it's like... I always like, you know, I struggle with that question because I wonder what would it be like if the black owned theaters were still, you know, exclusive or if HBCUs were still places where, you know, um, you know, some of the top black scholars would, would go and leave their, their, their research and, and, and everything else that, that we had to support based on, you know, because the racism that was that was yeah. in existence. And I think about this all the time, too, right, because. I, like you, have only been a public figure activist in two or three years. Like, I think when, when you and I met, like, that was the, fir- like, my first book had come out, right? And this was just a couple years ago. Um, and I sometimes get a lot of criticism because I advocate for people to, like, make money, right? And I'm always telling people, like, don't do things for free that you can get paid for. Like your time is valuable. And then people are like, oh, but you're supposed to be an activist. And I think people have this idea that if you're an activist, you're supposed to like 
be poor or something. It's and like I, holy and, shoes and, and like cut off jeans right. and like a, da- a sleeveless dashiki. <laughs> right. And then I think like, exactly. And, well, I, and then, you know, and then people spend tons of money to buy like hoodies that have like holes in them. But that's another topic. Um, but I think, you know, no, like we, we do need to create wealth among our communities because money is power in this country. And and so much of, of what people before us have fought for is so that we can have economic mobility, so that we can be seen as equal, so that we can earn as much money as anybody else just doing the same, the same work. So I think it's counterproductive to say, like yes there's like tons of problems with like money and wall street and we're seeing some of those rollbacks um to dot frank happening so all those issues are still valid but i do think that we need to uh, be more mindful of what we tell our communities about money and 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 you're absolutely right that we need to invest in our communities people need to save and i think a lot of that though goes back to some of the challenges that people have in the workplace and the fact that we're not earning as much. So if we're not earning as much, we don't have, and you know, we're not earning as much, we're spending more than we should be spending sometimes. And so all, some of these things can be better by having policy changes and by having protections like the Civil Rights Act and you know, Voting Rights Act and Fair Housing Act, like all of these things should in theory protect us so that we can have that upward wealth mobility but we know that's not that's not necessarily happening and you know just like as an aside so like one thing that's really crazy to me is what's happening in schools right now right and the civil rights act is supposed to protect against uh inequality in schools uh but 10 years before the Civil Rights Act was when Brown versus Board of Education happened in 1954. And seven years before that, we had Mendez versus Orange County that happened here in California that desegregated schools um, in in Orange County. And even 10 years after that, Congress still had to pass laws against desegregation in schools. So I'm like, how many damn things need to happen? You're like DJ Khaled over there. You're like another one. Another one, right. <laughs> and then another one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, exactly, and another one. Um, so, like all these, all of these protections and laws happen, but we still don't have schools that are equal. You wrote a piece about about schools in Baltimore. So, can you can you educate us on what you're seeing in schools in Baltimore and around the country? So, I've I've been out there for a minute. Like, I've I've been to hundreds of schools in the last three years like I've done all types of school visits um and that means I went to really 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 nice schools and I went to the schools in in Baltimore <laughs> you know some of the public schools in Baltimore Baltimore does have a couple there's a cut like the design school is nice Baltimore schools for the arts is nice but like you know most of a lot of schools I went to in Baltimore they don't they don't have heat so you know you know it's already bad enough that you have to read um, so, so this is, I'm not even trying to be funny when I was in the ninth grade they tried to get us to read Ben Carson's autobiography it's like <laughs> I was like I, you know I'd rather I'd rather eat this school lunch but it's <laughs> it's really difficult it's really difficult um, you know to learn things that have no no cultural relevance right so it's like you know you, you're being given things that have nothing to do with your experience 
and it kind of teaches you that other experiences are ex- way more valuable than yours because you're this you're this dirty street kid. So that's one thing. Now imagine l- trying to learn that so you can get what you need to pass, but you got to do it with your coat on. And every time you talk, you know your ears are freezing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and it's a it's a normal thing. So, um, so many Baltimore schools didn't have heat this year, and you know, as, for, as much as the bad things I say about social media and like phony, fake social media activists or like you know, um, poverty pimps, I will say that a group of young people who are who who don't really identify as activists like that, they're just people who care, had got out there. And they did a GoFundMe and they raised like seventy or eighty thousand dollars and they used that money to get the school's students all over Baltimore City what they needed to survive. Now the money wasn't enough to fix our broken heating system. I think Governor Hogan, Governor Hogan and Mayor Pew, they caught wind of how embarrassing it is. <laughs> to, 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 to yeah, call I mean, yourself a leader right? and it's 2018 like I've been like I said I've been in schools that had all digital classrooms all digital like you touch the wall and it turns into like animals and plants and videos on recycling <laughs> and then I'm going inside a school in Baltimore City where I can't even give my talk because my lips are getting chapped so they saw how embarrassing it is, and then they, they, they found some money, how they always find money from somewhere. They found some money to start to try to address the problem, but it's a shame that you got to air out somebody's dirty laundry before they do something. It's a yeah. shame. It's disgusting. Like, it's crazy. And, um, you know, I have to, you know, take some time and, and give, like, a, you know, like a special special salute, um, not just to the young people, Samira, Valerie, and um, Aaron, who, who who created that GoFundMe and put that plan together, but also to the all of the, the generations of, of young people of color <laughs> in the city going to these schools. And, you know, like, I had to graduate from that. I had to graduate from that, and I totally forgot. I was like, man, you know, I went to school in early two. I, I came on the early. I went to school nineties, early two thousands, early two thousands, and um, and um, I remember not having heat, and now I'm a dinosaur. You know, I'm looking back. It's it's, it's 2018. I'm I'm looking back, and I'm going back inside of schools, and I'm like, wow. You know, it's the same books that they had when I was here. Like, you kid, yeah. you're still making kids read The Crucible. The kids will forever, city kids will forever not want to read The Crucible. So I was like that one kid. Like, ah, oh, The Crucible. <laughs> like the rest of them are like, hell no. Like, these kids are out here, like, there's so much testament le- like, to I testament mean, to the fact that those books are still being written. Uh, you can, the, I mean, they can, the we can crooked, use like, the crooked media intern just like gave a big smile, which I think it probably means she had to read it too. But they can, look, we can <laughs> use your book, we can use my book, we can use Lisa Jesse Peterson's book. There's so many different books out there that we can use, but we're not using them, and we're making our kids think that reading isn't for them or their stories don't matter. And not only are we freezing them to death, but we're also giving them content that's setting them up to fail. So it's like we're attacking them from multiple different levels, and then when they go down to the cafeteria, we let them eat mold. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, And then we got an nerve to say, oh, we yeah. love our kids. No, you don't love the kids. You love anything else but the kids. There's a buzzy gift on everyone's list this year. It's something they'll use twice every day. They really should use it three times a day, but twice a day is just fine. It was featured on Oprah's O-List, and it's perfect for everyone with a mouth. This it gift is Quip, an electronic toothbrush designed to make brushing better. 
sensitive sonic vibrations gentle enough on your sensitive gums and built-in timer with guiding pulses to remind you when to switch sites. Quip makes holiday travels clean and easy with a multi-use cover that mounts to mirrors and unmounts to slide over the bristles for the on-the-go brushing. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs three months on a single charge. Quip is the gift that keeps refreshing, with brush heads automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. And you can even gift prepaid refills for a year to make sure they're never using old, worn-out, or ineffective bristles. I love Quip because it really is the best travel toothbrush. That's why I love Quip, and that's why they have over 5,000 certified five-star reviews. Quip looks like a big-ticket tech gift with a stocking stuffer price, starting at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash crookedconvos right now, you can get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. But you don't have to tell your gifty that. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash crookedconvos. In November, the trial of the century will take place in a courtroom in Brooklyn. The world's most infamous drug kingpin, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, the head of the Sinaloa cartel, will face justice in the case three decades in the making. That's, that's as long as I can keep up that voice for. But this case is about more than just Chapo. It's about the entire war on drugs and the countless lives that it has impacted on both sides of the border. To tell the final chapter in the legend of El Chapo, Vice News is launching a new podcast, Chapo, Kingpin on Trial, with versions in both English and Spanish. Over the course of eight episodes starting November 1st, Vice News will journey across Mexico and the U.S. to meet with people affected by Chapo and the drug war. Together with Miguel Ángel Vega, a top narco journalist in Mexico, we'll meet heroin traffickers, cartel hitmen, and we'll visit Chapo's hometown to interview members of his family. We'll speak with the DEA agent who captured Chapo, the lawyers who are defending him in court, and we'll speak with the former Mexican president, Felipe Calderón, whose decisions to deploy the military to fight the cartels escalated his country's drug war with deadly consequences. Felipe Calderón also taught Mexicans a very important lesson, which is when you sneeze, to sneeze into your elbow and not your hand so that you can still shake people's hands. So that's something you won't learn on El Chapo, but you'll learn here on Crooked Conversations. We'll hear from families shattered by violence, ordinary citizens caught between drug cartels and the Mexican military. Explore the myths that surrounded El Chapo, including his prison escapes and his ill-fated encounter with actors Kate del Castillo and Sean Penn. Listen to Chapo Kingpin on Trial for free exclusively on Spotify in both English and Spanish. Now we have a Secretary of Education in Betsy Who's not even educated! Like, <laughs> right, and who's just like rolling back so many of the protections that we did have. So like, I mean, it's totally embarrassing that, that people around the community have to like fund, go, do a GoFundMe so that kids can be warm in schools. That's that's just ridiculous and crazy. And, uh, you know, that's why I've been so supportive um, of, like, teachers walking out and mm -hmm. saying, like, we demand better conditions for our kids in these schools because, like, you can't learn that way, right? And so it, it perpetuates a cycle of, like, 
and, and, and that's what like drives me so crazy sometimes when people will be like oh you know it's because you guys are lazy or you guys don't want to learn and I'm like no like have you seen the conditions in which we have to learn and how can you expect someone to learn like like you said, when they are probably hungry because the food sucks, when they're freezing and probably getting sick because of the conditions, and then they're missing school because they're sick and we don't have health care, so it's not like the kid can get better any sooner, and then this cycle continues. All the criti- and all the critics, we have to acknowledge that they're very stupid. It's like the same person that say you guys are lazy is the same person that say immigrants take all the jobs. Like, which one do you want? Do they take all the right. jobs or are you lazy? You can't exactly. have both. You know what I mean? You right. can't have both. So it's like, it's the same people saying the same things. It's the same ideas being circulated. And um, one of my friends has sent me a clip from um, Jimmy Kimmel. And he went out in the streets with a microphone and he was asking people what books do you read and nobody like he he came across so many people who, who couldn't name they couldn't name one book not only did they not read they couldn't name a book <laughs> like one guy was like the jungle book and he was like you mean the <laughs> film and he's like yeah I read that <laughs> and I'm like yo really like this sad this is the country that we live in and a lot of that a lot of that 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 when I see that problem is systemic it's systemic. Um, it yeah. benefits America when poor people. So Sherman Alexi has this quote, right, where he says, "Rich people who don't read are assholes," um, i.e., Trump, and poor <laughs> people who don't read are just fucked. And um, it makes me think about my own experience and how every each and every book I was given as a kid was basically almost designed for me to hate books. Like, I'm in a neighborhood full of all of these wild and crazy and or amazing things happening. Um, I'm part of this rich, beautiful legacy, yet the only thing you can give me is Mark Twain. And this is nothing against Mark Twain. The Prince and the Papa is one of my favorite books, but at the same time, I have never would have known that if I wouldn't have had, like, a book like books right. like The Coldest One Ever or, or Clockers to get me excited about learning about other writers. And from there, you know, the Beatniks and from there, Fyodor Dostoevsky and all of these different things. But, I, you know, I can't. you can't get there unless you get a, a basic understanding of, one, why do you need these skills? Two, this is, these are the things we're going to excite you about so that you can get these skills. And over and over again our our school systems they just fail kids like they fail kids religiously um oh we can't give the kids this book because it has profanity we can't give the kids this book because it tells the truth that's kind of the issue right i think that sometimes we believe like oh or people think like oh uh schools being equal means that uh black kids and white kids and asian kids and latino kids can all theoretically go to the same school but it, it doesn't just mean that because one schools are still super super segregated all across the country and if we're like you said like if we're not giving kids what they need and what some kids might need in one school might be different than what other kids need in other schools in order to learn mm-hmm. and to and to be successful right so i mean so all of these things really just make me think about one, like things have been shitting this country for people of color always. We've we've made on the surface some progress with laws that have passed that are supposed to protect us. But some of those things have worked. Some of them have just been sort of a uh, a little flag that we can wave around and saying like, oh, we've done well for ourselves. What are other other laws that are being rolled back that are meant to protect people of color in this country? So at the end of the day, 
like I feel like it's uh, it's 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 a very tricky game when when you're talking about politics and laws and and what's being rolled back because you know I'm, I'm and I can name a few but does it matter? Does it really matter? I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we have a president, we have a president that called for the execution of five innocent men. I'm talking about the Central Park Five, and this is like the '80s. This is right. the '80s. We have a president that openly discriminated again. He Trump Trump did not want to rent places to black people in New York. So it's like, and this is a guy that was elected, and um, even though he didn't win a popular vote, he did really well in a lot of places. So it's almost like, now this is from my perspective, the law is not, it's not there for me. Like, I read about it, I study it, I think about it, I, you know, I, I debate at cocktail parties, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but but I, I don't really consider it. And, and let me just, let me just, I'll put this as clear as possible. Being a black dude, being a black guy from East Baltimore, who still lives in East Baltimore, um, works all over the world, but I come right back home. Um, if somebody put a gun on my head, right, which can happen, <laughs> and they went in my pockets and stole my wallet and stole my phone and, and stole, like, everything that I had, I can guarantee you 250% I will not call the police. Because what's the point? They might pull up and shoot me because I don't have an ID. Yeah. I'm not calling yeah. them. So that these systems, I don't even acknowledge them, and I'm not the only black person to say that. Police officers, or or, or some, or, or, or you know, and, and and I'm just only speaking off personal experience. So I feel like this: the only time I will ever call a police officer, you know, is if I needed like an insurance report, like somebody broke in my house, and I got to write down the Mona Lisa that they took and um just the crown <laughs> jewels that I had like in my shoebox. No, but like if I got in a car accident and I need, a, you know, I need the police to come out and like, you know, give me a report so I can give it to my insurance company. So if it's not like directly related to property, <laughs> which is what they're there to protect anyway, when it comes to people like me, there's no point for me to call them. There's no point for me to. Um, what's the what's the quote? Every time someone in Congress makes a bill, it's a joke. And every time they make a joke, it's a bill. Like, it's almost like I'm so through with them. I'm so through with them that it's hard for me to even like. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to get the energy. And don't get me wrong, I I would never tell kids not to vote. I would never tell people not to get in public office. But like, I'm, you know, I don't know. I guess, you know, I guess in your 30s you get really jaded, and then maybe I'll be optimistic in my 40s with like sandals and like a tweed shirt and like all positive, (laughs) the vegan. I think I'm 35 and I've like turned that. I've like I've felt all those emotions. You feel jaded, right? This the... is the jaded age, right? It's 35 is when you just really start unpacking books and you can read 300 to 600 pages in a day and you like consuming all this stuff and you like yeah, what? The I gotta fuck? start reading faster to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks. ETFs, that's exchange-traded funds, options, and cryptos, you know, like Bitcoin and such, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Watch out, Goldman Sachs. Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Other brokers charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, trade stocks, and keep all your profits. With easy-to-understand charts and market data, I do love me a good chart, you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. 
The Robinhood web platform also lets you view stock collections, such as 100 most popular, sectors like entertainment and social media, and curated categories like female CEOs, because, you know, girl power. And analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. Discover new stocks and track favorite companies with personalized news feeds and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. Apple's trading at like 173 something, so that's like 173 free dollars. Or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at crooked.robinhood.com. That's crooked.robinhood.com. This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Where We Go From Here by Bernie Sanders. Where We Go From Here shows how Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign was a beginning, not an end. In it, he talks about what he's been doing to oppose the Trump agenda and strengthen the progressive movement and how we move forward as a nation. The audiobook is read by Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders' previous audiobook, Our Revolution, was nominated for a Grammy in the Spoken Word category. Listen to an excerpt and buy the audiobook at macmillanaudio.com slash Sanders. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. So you, you mentioned sort of like the police, right? And that's happening also, by the way, like in immigrant communities where people don't want to call the police because they're afraid that they're going to be the ones detained and deported, right? So like we're seeing that across uh, across like multiple multiple communities. But one, one of the rollbacks that particularly pertains to, to what we're just talking about, about the police is uh, under the Obama Department of Justice, the Department of Justice was investigating police departments, and uh, and they were issuing these things called cons- consent decrees, which um, basically they were like settlement, but they were uh, so like if you know if it was found that, for example, in Baltimore, the police were being racist and discriminating. So like if, if they found it, then they would say like, okay, you have to pay you know X amount of dollars uh, as a as a fine, but also a judge would rule and say these are the things that you have to do so that in the future, if those things kept happening, people could sue again because now there's precedence for it, right? Now now a judge has said you're not supposed to be doing these things. Well, under Jeff Sessions' Department of Justice, he came in and said, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to take a really hard look at all of these consent decrees that have been issued across police departments, and we're going to start pulling them back and rolling them back. And they're not using consent decrees anymore. They're just using, like, settlement. So so police departments across the country who are found of discriminating um, based on race and color and all these other, all these other things um, will now have to—they also have to pay a fine, maybe— but there won't be any ruling that sets any sort of precedence for the future. And that's really troubling to me, especially because of everything you're saying, right? And, and everything we're seeing around the country. Like, I feel like I, I I remind myself all the time not to get desensitized, not to feel like, oh, I'm just retweeting this thing or I'm just posting this thing about another 
black man who got shot or or another person who just got deported and detained. Um, but to really to to really feel whatever I'm supposed to be feeling at that moment, and to realize that that this Department of Justice, this administration, is taking away whatever little protections we had under the law. I got to be 100% honest, like when they were having on the hearings and I attended some of them in Baltimore, um, announcing, you know, the findings of the consent decree and what was going on and what was happening. And the inner me was still like, yo, they're still not going to do anything. And it's and it's 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 kind of it's, it's true. Like, it's true. Um, it, it, I, so, again, like we have these things happen these things that you would think would change, but these systems were created by very, very intelligent people with the purpose of growing and or maintaining wealth, and it's working really, really, really well. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. As my so my job, my job, and your job, and, and, and what we try to do is we we try to get out here and say these things, and you know, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes I get tired because I just feel like. You know, but then at the same time, I realize there's a whole, there's generations and generations of young people that are coming up. And if we can get them this information, then maybe they'll move different. Maybe they'll join the system and be able to to have it produce different results. So that's who I honestly work for. I guess I probably should have said that I'm tired of talking to people my age and older. <laughs> Wait, am I older than you? I'm I'm still considered like the young person, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why you're yeah. having this conversation with yeah. me. Yeah, well, I, I know. Also, I you know, really liked your book, and I really admire you a lot. So I Thank definitely, you. definitely, this was like when I got the email, I was like, oh yeah, I'd come on in a second. Thank you. That's kind. Um, so, oh, so okay. So I I know that you know you're you're jaded, and I'm gonna try to get you out of that space, um, and force you for a second to think about. What are the things that do make you hopeful? I, I mean, you've talked about this black tax is like what you called it, right? Which is like, it, it's like the continuation of uh, black codes and and all of these terrible, terrible loss. And um, a crooked contributor, uh, Brittany Pagney, actually did this whole thing about hashtag like wild black. So like all these things that happen while you're black, like you're vacationing and the police get called on you. You're waiting at a Starbucks or you're just walking down the street. And you've talked about it and called it the black tax. Uh, and so I, I totally get why we're in the space of like feeling jaded and, and maybe not as hopeful. But if you can, what are some things that do make you hopeful for the future? Technology. Technology has a way of spreading information. Um, when I say technology, I mean like everything from from social media when used the right way to podcasts like yours. I feel like we have a way of using this information to get it to people who don't really understand. Um, I think that if if you know, and 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 it's still difficult because look look how much crap you gotta <laughs> look how much crap you gotta you gotta you gotta sift through to get this to the good stuff you know but mm-hmm. you know i feel like um technology and and for me i'm connected to a small group of mentors and we work with a lot of young people and we're getting a chance to make like a serious difference and we don't you know we don't get medals and we don't get like invited to you know obama uh obama and oprah's cookouts but at the same time <laughs> you know we're doing the work that counts we're exposing young people to career paths that we didn't get a chance to be exposed to we're putting them down with books and, and helping them become readers early in a way that never really happened for us and we're being the people we didn't have coming up 
I want to end on a positive note. I always, I always like ending these conversations because you know, a lot of these conversations are tough conversations. They, they do expose a lot of the bad things that are happening in America. But I always like to end on a positive note. And I think you know, I think that the work that you're doing in Baltimore and trying to get more kids to read. And I know that you take your book and you, um, you know, you go to jails and you get uh, people who are incarcerated an opportunity to uh, be excited about a book that they can relate to. And so, you know, I, I think that people like you and other people who are doing this kind of work can make a difference. We can empower people. And I think it's important that, you know, we do keep an eye on what's happening in the Department of Justice and the rollbacks um, so that one, we're aware of what these of what these people are, are doing and two, so that we can push back and we can say, you know, these are things that we fought really hard to have, these protections. We still need them because it's not like things are better and so we do need these protections and to, you know, and to, and to push back and, and be able to not just keep what we have but to keep fighting for more. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the it's the ugly grunt work that nobody sees as the stuff that matters and um I'm I'm happy to you know, playing my role in helping, helping to engage a lot of young readers, and I'm com- fully committed to doing that. Um, you know, it's and, and you know it's difficult at times because you don't always get the support, you know that you know that you need to to function. But at the same time, that doesn't make you exempt from doing the work. So yeah, I've been to a lot of jails. Um, I've been to too many high schools, <laughs> you know, but I, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world because I'm happy that they receive me and I'm happy they can connect to the work. And I'm happy that a lot of times they get excited about telling their own stories, which is more important than anything to me. You know, the fact that young people are telling their own stories and excited about who they who they are and where they come from and having that value and that stuff worth worth means the world to me. So I'm definitely happy about that. And um that's the mentality that's going to have to spread if we are ever going to change um, the ugliness that exists in this society. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was, um, I think that's a good note. Is that that's cool? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we made it. We made it to the point where we violin, got you to be positive. I have a little violin in the background. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Crooked Conversation. I know my heart's still racing from that conversation, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Make sure to listen to next week's Crooked Conversation. Subscribe, rate us, show us all the love. You can follow me at Julissa Arce on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the other things that kids are using this day. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply.